2: Good morning. Welcome to our show number 680. We'll talk to birds listeners if you'll pardon a very local observation we heard and even saw a common nighthawk swooping and swerving and vocalizing in the skies over downtown Boston uh, early last evening. It's the first sighting of a common nighthawk by yours truly over the city in four summers of waiting and watching. Does it mean that common nighthawks are on the rebound? Maybe not. Uh, What with the conversion of most of the rooftops in the city from formerly nighthawk-friendly gravel roofs to the more practical rubber roofs that seal the buildings from the weather but eliminate nesting and roosting places for the birds. But what a beautiful thing to once more see and hear over the city. Of course, they face more problems than um, just the rubber roof thing. Uh, We'll talk about that, though, at an upcoming show. On last week's show, we talked about the incredibly amazing and maybe unprecedented bird sightings by Ian Davies and friends up in Tadoussac, Quebec, Canada, right where the Saguenay Fjord meets the St. Lawrence River. In case you missed it, Ian reported seeing more than 700,000 warblers in flight in one day, including 144,000-plus bay-breasted warblers. Well, now comes a follow-up to that story from that same location. It's Tadoussac, take two. Early this week, a member of the Tadoussac bird observatory team, Letitia Debord, was observing from a dock in the small town of Les Bergeron, just east of Tadoussac, at dawn. In a heavy rain, things were quiet at first, but by 6.30 a.m., The scene had changed dramatically, and Ms. Debord sent a message to the observatory saying, I need help. She wasn't in distress. She was just unable to count all the birds. Help soon arrived, and by 9.30 a.m., they had counted more than 10,000 birds every 20 minutes. And by late afternoon, the tally had surpassed half a million warblers. The observatory's director, Pascal Coté, said the observatory has been monitoring migrations for 10 years and that this is by far the largest number of warblers ever spotted in a single day. By the way, Ian Davies from the Cornell Lab, who filed that initial warbler explosion report from Tadoussac, will be a guest on an upcoming Talking Bird show to talk about this phenomenon and maybe explain what it's all about. From the Talking Birds email bag, it's a note from Scott Bauman, friend of the show and a Talking Birds ambassador up in Wapon, Wisconsin. He says, Hi Ray, I just broke the 800 mile mark on the Wisconsin Society for Ornithology's Green Birding Challenge. My bird total stands at 218. Locally, portions of Horicon Marsh are starting to dry out, becoming great shorebird habitat after a soggy spring season. Up to this point, my shorebird totals have been weak, but in the last four days, I've added about 10 new birds, mostly shorebirds. The best sightings have been four Hudsonian godwits, black-billed plover, Baird's sandpiper, white-rumped sandpiper, Wilson's phalarope, black-necked stilt, and ruddy turnstone, which is a quality sighting in this part of the state away from the shores of Lake Michigan. And Scott sends some pictures of his findings. We'll pop them up on our Facebook page. Thank you to Scott up there in Wisconsin. That is the sound of our mystery bird. This is not the mystery bird contest, but merely a preview of that contest. Coming along just a little bit later on in the show. Beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and Larkwire in our contest again this morning. Our bird is a large, long-tailed bird found only along Gulf and Atlantic coasts of the U.S., usually in marshes and around ponds and streams. The male of the species is an iridescent purple-black color, while the smaller female is dark brown above and lighter brown on the breast, with none of that fancy iridescence. A little preview of our mystery bird contest coming on a little bit later.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it.
2: Here are some of the stories and videos on our Facebook page this week. Thanks to our friends at Audubon.org, we'll direct you to six tips on photographing birds from boats. And thanks to some close-by friends from Manomet right here in eastern Massachusetts. We'll link you to a beautiful photo essay about a beautiful, long-legged shorebird, the wimbrel. And we'll connect you to a story about how genetic research by scientists in India may help explain why peacocks, peacock the national bird of India, why they have such ornate feathers and how they can fly despite their weight. Two characteristics that have been puzzling scientists for a long time. Some of the stories we have for you on our Facebook page, you can find those stories too. Uh, through an online search, in case you're not a Facebook follower. We now present several stories and comments about something not directly about birds, but which is having an enormous impact on birds and many, many other creatures, humans included, that something is... Mr. McGuire? Plastics. Right. World Oceans Day was celebrated this week. This year's theme, Preventing Plastic Pollution... In encouraging solutions for a healthy ocean. And for those who aren't convinced of what a huge and tragic problem plastic trash in our oceans has become, take a look at the National Geographic June issue. The picture on the cover looks at first glance like an iceberg. But if you look more closely, you'll see that it's actually a plastic bag with its tip protruding above the ocean surface. And a pretty compelling demonstration of the fact that plastic doesn't just go away can be found in the first sentence of the accompanying article in that National Geographic magazine, which points out that if plastics had already been invented, when the Mayflower brought the pilgrims from England to North America, the pilgrims' plastic trash, bottled water, plastic-wrapped snacks that they might have tossed overboard would still be around today, 400 years later. guess what? Much of it will still be around 400 years from now. Check out the June issue of National Geographic for much more on this story. I know this is radio and you can't see me, but trust me when I say that I am holding in my hand right now an aardvark. No, not the burrowing nocturnal mammal native to Africa. What I'm holding here is actually a paper straw, aardvark is the brand name and we have the straw here thanks to our own Debbie Bleacher who brought it back recently from a visit with her family to Disney World's Animal Kingdom where the restaurants there offer paper straws as the only straws available to their patrons joining with what are now thousands of restaurants all over the world getting rid of plastic straws and replacing them with paper or in some cases bamboo or even at a restaurant in Malibu, California pasta So thank you, Disney World, for switching from non-recyclable, non-biodegradable ocean-fouling plastic straws to compostable, biodegradable paper straws. If you're wondering if paper straws really work, uh, yes, they do. We've been testing one here this morning on a big glass of iced coffee. Let's take one more sip here. (laughs) Okay, one more story with a plastic connection. We talked about green birding a couple of minutes ago and something that our friend Scott Bauman up in Wisconsin is doing. But we thought we'd take this idea one step further. In Sweden, they're doing something called plogging. Yes, plogging, P-L-O-G-G-I-N-G. If it sounds like some kind of jogging, uh, well, it is. But what's the P-L part? Replacing the J of jogging? Maybe play it loud for joggers who play loud music to spur themselves on or practice lines for joggers who are also actors rehearsing their parts as they run. Well, it's not either of those things. The PL in plogging, which they tell us is making its way to the U.S., actually comes from plåkøjup, Swedish for pickup. In this case, referring to the picking up of litter. These environmentally minded joggers pick up Bits of trash dominated by plastic as they run. Now, they obviously have to add kind of a stutter step effect to their jogging to do this, but many of them say they actually get better exercise this way, having to do bends and squats in the process of picking up litter while jogging. So this got us to thinking. If joggers can become pluggers, can't birders become plurders? Birders don't move as quickly as joggers, so it would seem they would be pretty easy to pluck a oop while walking slowly in search of birds. So how about it, Talking Birds listeners, should we try to make plurting a thing? Please contact us here at Talking Birds if you think the idea is worth uh, picking up on. And to add a hopeful note to all this talk about plastic, there's lists. The scientists in the UK, kind of by accident, have created an enzyme that breaks down plastic bottles. According to a story in the U.S. edition of the British newspaper The Guardian, the breakthrough could help solve the global plastic pollution crisis by enabling for the first time the full recycling of bottles. The new research was spurred by the discovery a couple of years ago of the first bacterium that had naturally evolved to eat plastic. Researchers tweaked the enzyme to see how it had evolved, but tests showed they had inadvertently made the molecule even better at breaking down the PET plastic used for soft drink bottles. The mutant enzyme takes a few days to start breaking down the plastic, but that's rather dramatically faster than the centuries such a process takes in the oceans. The researchers say they're optimistic that this can be speeded up even more and become a viable large-scale process. And of course, large-scale is uh, certainly what is called for, Considering, for example, that about a million plastic bottles are sold each minute around the globe, just 14% of them are recycled. Many end up in the oceans, whereas Professor John McGeehan at the University of Portsmouth, who led the research, points out, it polluted even the most remote parts of the globe, harming marine life and bird life, and potentially people who eat seafood. Our conservation salute of the week. Let's make it a three-parter this week. First, a salute to an organization we mentioned a moment ago, National Geographic, for a little thing they've begun doing. They're now wrapping all their magazines in paper instead of plastic and saving, in the process, more than 2.5 million single-use plastic bags every month. Way to go, Nat Geo. Next, a salute to Disney World's Animal Kingdom for, as we described, ditching and switching ditching plastic straws in their restaurants and replacing them with paper straws. And the third part of our three-part conservation salute also has to do with straws, and it goes to a group of young environmentalists right in our talking birds' backyard. That would be the island of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. A group of students from the West Tisbury School is working to make a change on the island by encouraging the elimination of the use of straws. They call their Martha's Vineyard Effort straw free mv science teacher Anne marie ralph helped guide the students to their cause and they've already convinced many restaurants on the island to get rid of the plastic and go with the paper the students have also tested these paper straws by the way and they report that they work just as well as the plastic ones well, one thing that never fails to get us excited around here is when more Talking Birds listeners become Talking Birds ambassadors, meaning they let us send them some info cards about our show to hand out to their friends and neighbors and coworkers to let them know about Talking Birds. And this week, we're very excited to welcome three new ambassadors to the family. And we're really over the moon about this first one, which represents a real first Fran Koulas from Wilmington, Delaware says, Hi, Ray. I've been listening to the show for almost a year now via podcast. I listened to this past weekend show this morning and heard that you didn't have any ambassadors from Delaware, so I thought I would be the first. Here, a little round of applause for Fran on that. He also says he's actually trying to get his wife and kids to listen to the show, really trying to convert them to birders. He says his five-year-old daughter dabbles with him and says maybe you mentioning my name will get them to listen a little bit more than they would have otherwise. Thank you, Fran. And thank you, Joy Klump from Houston, Texas. She just found our podcast and says she's really enjoying it. And she says she'll try to tune in live this week. Thank you, Joy. And I hope you're listening live or otherwise. And thank you to Sandra from Jacksonville, Florida. She says, I love the show and I love birds. Well, Sandra, we love you, and thank you for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thank you to Jennifer from the town of Athol on the western edge of Worcester County here in Massachusetts. Thank you, Jennifer. Talking Birds listeners, we'd like to invite you to join with Jennifer and Sandra, Joy and Fran, and our ambassadors family. To do it, just click on the contact button at talkingbirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Uh, from the Talking Birds email bag, sort of, we received a message from Anne through our website. We don't know where Anne is located, and she didn't leave her email address on the contact form, so we can't return her message. But if you're listening, Anne, we can tell you that the mystery bird you inquired about on our show, number 531, June 21st, 2015, was the green-winged teal. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man, Mike O'Connor, in our Let's Ask Mike segment. And instead of giving applause to Mike, we'll give him some clapping instead. I know that sounds like one and the same thing, but we'll explain why they're different when we say hi to Mike this morning and talk about loons. We'll also catch up with our Debbie Bleacher, who is getting ready to head north, and we'll find out about her very interesting and very birdy destination. And up next, a bird with a nickname associated with a mythological beast and the common name of a very large real beast is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Here's the sound of a rhinoceros. Mm. 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 And here's the sound of a rhinoceros auklet. kind of surprising they don't sound all that different from one another, considering that the former is a lumbering beast native to Africa and Asia, weighing up to four tons, and the latter is a small seabird that weighs about 16 ounces. And why would a small seabird like that be called rhinoceros auklet? Well, for the same reason that it's also called unicorn puffin, Its name is inspired by the presence of a vertical white plate at the base of its orange bill that juts upward, a bit like the horn of a rhinoceros. Or if you prefer a more phantasmagorical interpretation, like that of a unicorn. The rhinoceros auklet is a medium-sized stocky water bird about 11 inches long, all dark gray except for a white belly. The breeding adult develops that white horn at the base of its bill in early spring and then sheds it in late summer. In North America, our bird breeds from California to the Aleutian Islands of Alaska and winters along most of the U.S. West Coast. It surface dives for fish, using its wings to swim. It nests on islands, digging long burrows in the soil under grass and shrubs and trees. The rhinoceros auklet is the only member of its genus, and although it's called an auklet, It's believed to be more closely related to puffins, as that unicorn puffin nickname would suggest. (coughs) The rhinoceros auklet. Today's talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 680. Well, our Debbie Bleacher is on her way to Maine, and we're just catching up with her for a moment here to find out where she's heading and why. Good morning, Debbie.
1: Hey, good morning, Ray.
2: You're heading to Maine. Uh, we were there a couple of weeks ago. Did you forget something?
1: Uh, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: Where are you going? You... What did you forget?
1: Well, I forgot um, to, uh, <laughs> not really. Um, I have been invited to take a class in hand-on bird science at Hog at Island Audubon
2: a famous place in an amazing historic place, Hog Island Audubon Camp, founded by none other than Roger Torrey Peterson. At least he was the first director there. So what will you uh, be doing?
1: Um, Well, I will be uh, uh, trying my hand at bird song recordings Mm -hmm. and probably a bit of bird banding and specimen preparation. Hmm.
2: Cool. So this will be like a a week long?
1: Um, Yeah, it's six days uh, starting today, um, so I'll be back Friday. And I think every minute of it's going to be packed
2: with uh, with bird science. I bet, and also some fancy desserts too. I think some bird themed uh, bird desserts. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, that's
1: right. They are they are saying this for a uh, dessert called
2: a cream puffin. Hmm. Don't eat too many of those, Debbie. And we'll catch up with you when you come back. <laughs> Sounds great, Ray. All right, our own Debbie Bleach. You're heading up to Hog Island Autobahn Camp for some hands-on bird science. Pretty cool stuff. Up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Oh,
1: what is- We're at Talking Birds. We're for the birds, and we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is John Ebert, and I'm calling from Columbia, South Carolina.
2: What made me become a Talking Birds ambassador is I love the show. If I have a message for any Talking Birds listeners, it's become an ambassador.
1: Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. <laughs>
2: Want tips on backyard birding? Birdwatching Magazine has published a handy booklet that is yours to download free. The 16-page guide includes field-tested answers to the most common questions about the birds in your backyard. Go to birdwatchingdaily.com to get your free copy. Just a reminder, Talking Birds listeners, wherever you are, if you have an internet connection, you can hear our show live. Sunday mornings, 930 to 10 Eastern. Just go to talkingbirds.com to see how easy it is to do it. Our mystery bird contest. You're eligible if you haven't been a winner here in the past six months. Here's our mystery bird. It's a large, long-tailed bird found only on the Gulf and Atlantic coasts of the U.S., usually in marshes and around ponds and streams. The male of the species is an iridescent purple-black color, while the much smaller female is dark brown above and lighter brown on the breast with none of that fancy iridescence. What is it Win our prizes if you can tell us. We have Droll Yankees' new generation 13-inch metal finch sock that combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of mail. And it holds a full pound of niger seed, a.k.a. thistle seed. Bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the Larkwire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. Prizes on our Mystery Bird Contest, 781 837 is the number to call. Don't wait. Give us a call as soon as you can. If you know the answer, you'll win. If you don't know, you might still win. If no one gets the correct answer, a little drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900 is the number to call on our mystery bird contest. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're heading down to Cape Cod to catch up with Mike O'Connor at the famous Bird Watchers General Store. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, here's a preview of another great nature book from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publishers of the Peterson Field Guides, the Kaufman Field Guides, and many more useful guidebooks and reading books. The Guide to Walden Pond is the first guidebook to Henry David Thoreau's most defining place, visited by half a million people each year. Many more know it as the fountainhead of America's environmental consciousness. Using this guide, both armchair readers and trail walkers can join Thoreau devotee Robert Thorson on an amble around the pond's shoreline, stopping at 15 special places to explore people, events, and the natural world. Abundantly illustrated with photographs, drawings, and maps, this guide is a must-have for a meaningful, engaging tour of Walden Pond, as well as a souvenir of a visit. The guide to Walden Pond is available wherever books are sold. I know a place that sells a lot of books about birds and such. That would be the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Massachusetts, where Mike O'Connor is holding forth. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. Good to hear your voice. You know, we don't appreciate you enough, Mike, and we should give you some applause, so we're going to instead, though, give you some clapping here. You recognize this clapping? It gets bigger. <laughs> oh, boy, that's rowdy, isn't it? That is loud and rowdy. That is a, a clapper rail and uh, thanks to you, uh, I got to see one last week down there on the on the Cape.
0: Yeah, it was it was fun having you stop by, and uh, there was a, a uh, one of the best birding places, or the, one of the best places in the world, is Fort Hill in East Ham. It's oh, beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. and you stop by, show off your new fancy car, which is awesome, and <laughs> then you suggested that we should try, uh, see, a, a clapper rail of Fort Hill, which I had seen a few days earlier, and just being... Um, Plight host, I said, okay, well, let's go try to see it, but not really thinking that we'd ever see it. Bingo! We nailed it, and maybe even heard two. It was it was a great experience.
2: Yeah, we heard one quite a distance from the first one, so we figured there probably was, a, well, were two of them there. And yeah. much of the, you know, and the
0: name indicates they're very shy birds, and we got, we we were, I would say, what, five, ten feet away, and it was yapping away, and we got a few brief looks at it, but that was, that was enough. It was a great day, yeah.
2: Yeah. I think I hear a common loon. Did you see a couple of these also recently? Oh, my God. Yeah, I had just taken, I had a couple of days, so I
0: scooted up to the Connecticut lakes, which you would think would be in Connecticut, but they're actually way up in northern, northern New Hampshire at the headwaters of the Connecticut River. They're even further north in the northern part of Vermont, way up there. Wow. And we stayed on this area called the Glen, which birders have gone for years, and these cabins, and we stayed on this this. We did a lot of birding, but we stayed on the pond or the lake right on the edge. And at night, and everybody hears loons. They go, oh, how sweet. These birds came out at night probably well after midnight, maybe about 2 a.m. They got in some kind of massive turf war, these pair of loons, two pairs of loons, actually. And it's a lot of nature noise I ever heard. Back and forth, back and forth, that yodeling that you just played and the wailing. It sounded like loon Armageddon. It, 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 it I swear, it was so loud, it even drowned out my wife snoring. That's how bad it was.
2: Wow. And so right. that,
0: that was a good experience. So if you get up to uh, the Connecticut Lakes, uh,
2: stay at the Glen, and you'll hear some good loon calls. All there. right, and don't that's forget right. Fort Hill and East Ham, too, on Cape Oh, that's Tide. the best. That is a beautiful All place. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you next week, yeah. Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatcher's general store. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids
1: to live on, you know?
0: Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can
2: recycle.
1: Hey, recycling's just not my thing.
2: Don't be that guy. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. We're back here at the Mystery Bird contest trying to identify this mystery bird. 781-837-4900. Is the number to call, and uh, we're going to go to, uh, I believe, to Liz in Saint Cloud, Minnesota. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Wonderful to hear from you, Saint Cloud, Minnesota. We're exactly where in the state? Uh
0: we're about seventy miles north of uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. North
2: of mini the Twin Cities. All right. Well, Liz, yep. uh, what do you think on our uh, our mystery bird?
1: I think it is a boat-tailed grackle.
2: Let me check my paperwork here and uh, just. Uh... Yes, I believe that is correct. <laughs> a boat-tailed grackle, hardly ever seen in the great state of Minnesota. No. <laughs> right. You have some favorite uh, hot spots? that you uh, like to go to uh, check out birds?
0: Um, we're pretty close to Sherburne National Wildlife Refuge.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a really great place. We actually got our first daytime close-up look at a woodcock there
2: a couple weeks ago. Just a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Okay. Sherburne National Wildlife Refuge? Wildlife Refuge. Yep. Very cool. Liz, thank you so much for uh, calling in. And if you will stay on the line, we'll arrange to uh, send those prizes to you.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Ray.
2: Thank you, Liz. Up there in St. Cloud, Minnesota, correctly identifying the boat-tailed grackle as our Mystery bird. Kind of interesting that the uh, female boat-tailed grackle is only about half the size of the male, and as a result, often mistaken for some other species. That's about all we have uh, time for for our show this morning, so I guess we're going to end it here, and we thank you so much for listening. We have some wonderful guests coming along in the near future, including Ian Davies, who spotted those 700,000 warblers in one day up there in Tadoussac, Quebec. Canada. Uh, he'll be on our show shortly. And then we have another special surprise involving something called the Birding Community E Bulletin. We'll have more news about that on next week's show. Thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher. Special thanks to Debbie this morning and to our engineer Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. The
1: bird show, I like that. I love the- Ray
2: Brown's
0: talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Leanscape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLbean.com By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com